Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today I'm joined by Katie McKenzie. Katie is a fourth year med student. Katie has her own experience of an eating disorder and today she is here to talk to me about, which I think is perfectly timed, her experience of university and her eating disorder and also how we can raise awareness in medicine about eating disorders. Hello Katie. Hi, nice nice to have you. No, not nice. <laughs> nice to speak to you today. Sorry. Yeah, nice to have me in your room. Yeah, that, that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> no, it's absolutely lovely to have you. Um, and just before we started, I just wanted to say thank you for all your support because you have been sharing so much of the podcast on social media and giving such nice feedback. So it really is lovely to be talking to you today. I wanted to start by kind of you explaining your experience of having an eating disorder. I think you mentioned that that kind of developed for you at uni. So I wondered if you could kind of lay the foundations for us. Yeah, sure. So yeah, as you mentioned, it was something that only really developed whilst I was at university. So kind of before I went, I always kind of considered myself having a pretty normal relationship with food Mm -hmm. and sort of not really struggling with my mental health either. So I think when I kind of went and got unwell, it was a bit of a shock to the system really. So it kind of started like a few months after I was there. So I think obviously when you first go to uni, it's really busy. So you've got like freshers week, you're meeting loads of people. So that was like completely fine. But I think kind of thrown into kind of a new course, it was quite high pressured because sort of everyone in medicine is kind of on the same level academically but like previously to that in like secondary school and college I'd sort of had grades as something about me I suppose Mm -hmm. and so I think that was kind of something that felt a bit off and then I suppose I just kind of I think it was sort of when I went home for Christmas I hadn't really realized I'd kind of developed some like rules around food and stuff but it was just certain things that I would I would have normally been fine eating in certain situations. I just kind of didn't feel like I could or didn't feel like I wanted to. But kind of still at that point, it wasn't really much of a problem. But then kind of when I went back after Christmas, that was still kind of continuing. And now I was just constantly thinking about food. So like just worried about what I was eating, when I was eating, sort of worried about it afterwards as well. And it kind of affected how much I could concentrate on the course as well. So it kind of made it difficult to do like one or the other really. Mm. Um, but at the time I was just more focused on like the food and sort of 
the indisorder voice was just stronger than kind of my voice at that time. I'd sort of like heard about eating disorders before as well, but, and I remember kind of Googling what I was kind of thinking and what was going on, but then reading it and just thinking that that's not me and kind of thinking that I'm not unwell enough for that yet. And that's kind of what I said when I went home once, I spoke to my parents and they kind of said, something obviously is wrong because you're just thinking about food all the time. And I did say that I'm just not unwell enough. There's people who are worse than me. And I think that's kind of a sign of the illness in itself. But that was what kind of pushed them to push me to go to the GP, really. Um, and then they diagnosed me with, um, it was like anorexia at the time, but I also struggled with bulimia as well, sort of together. So yeah, that was in 2017. So since then, I, ca I stayed at uni for a bit, but I couldn't really balance the two. I tried to, but it was kind of like a double life, really. It didn't, didn't really work out. And then I like took the year out, just focused on recovery that whole year, and then started back at uni in 2018 from the beginning. And since then, I've luckily been, been pretty okay. <laughs> Uh, well, I think your story sounds it sounds quite similar to mine. It's quite not nice to hear, but refreshing to, to to talk to you, kind of having a similar thing. And I guess I've got so many questions from what you've asked, but I'll take it slow um, rather than me getting really excited and asking you mm -hmm. all at once. And I don't want to make an assumption here, but was it? Did you almost feel like you'd gone from kind of being the big fish in a small pond at school to kind of a small fish in a big pond? And did you feel like you kind of needed something else to be good at because you weren't? You know, you said that before you had the grades, and that was kind of your thing. Did it feel like you needed something else to maybe fill that gap? Yeah, I think that's kind of exactly what that's exactly what it felt like, and. I think I kind of turned kind of the perfectionism that I'd had for grades to food because mm -hmm. grades are sort of a given and I think food was just something that was easier, like achievable and sort of that was my thing that I could do. So yeah, definitely. I think that was, I think I definitely relate the kind of academic personality thing to the eating disorder really. Yeah, and I think it's quite common. I've spoken to people before when they've said that they've had really good grades. Um, it's sort of that characteristic, isn't it, of being a perfectionist and yeah. being a high achiever. That's kind of what predisposes you. I liked what you said as well there, and it was kind of grades were a given. It almost feels as though you reached a point where you were like, I know that I'm going to get good grades because that's just who I am. So I need something else that I can now like push myself into being perfect because the kind of grades weren't enough of a I don't know more maybe like I don't know a, a good feeling anymore they weren't good enough you needed something else yeah I think so I think kind of yeah the grades weren't kind of like a reward I suppose because previously to that I'd always been working towards getting to medical school mm. so kind of when I was there it was a bit like not really sure what to do now um <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think that is really common. I think we set ourselves goals and then once we reach them, it's almost like, okay, well, what do I do now? Yeah. And I think it's, again, it's quite common to then set another goal and another goal and never quite be satisfied with the goal that has been reached. 
I guess another question that I wanted to ask you was in regards to when you started at university and you said that you didn't really recognise those behaviours. Do you think that was kind of you moving away from home and starting to have more control over your food or what do you think sort of developed those rules and that you started to notice? So in my first year I was actually in catered accommodation so I didn't choose that but that was like the only one that was available so I think I don't really know if that was a trigger but I sort of didn't like the fact that I couldn't choose what I wanted to Mm. eat and even though like when I first went I didn't really struggle with food I still found that a bit difficult really so I think kind of from that I just liked to kind of if I was going to eat something I wanted to control it so I think it kind of started small and then when I did when I was able to have more control I just took as much as I could really I suppose. Yeah and I think that makes sense it's again it's the control um that's quite commonly spoken about and I know that's not something that everybody turns to an eating disorder for but I know that it is um it can happen quite frequently I guess what sort of stuff would you advise people if they are listening to the podcast and maybe they're worried about either going into catered accommodation or maybe they don't you know they've come from home and now they're going to have to be cooking their own meals do you have any advice for people and how to manage that so that things don't kind of get out of out of hand yeah so in terms of catered accommodation um I think that was only like one haul out of a lot of them that was catered. The rest of them were self-catered and they did kind of, I think, I think you could probably have cooked your own food. We did, I think it was like something stupid, like one microwave between 20 people because they just expected you to eat in the, what in the hall. So yeah, that wasn't, it was very old accommodation. I think it's been knocked down now. So it's probably probably for the best. but yeah, if you if you were in catered accommodation, I think there are probably are more options now and sort of maybe if you do find that doesn't work for you at the beginning, you do have the chance to kind of swap accommodations and you mm-hmm. could give any reason that you wanted. And I think there is usually a bit of leeway with that. And then in terms of kind of moving away for the first time and cooking for yourself, probably just kind of having a set of like meals that, kind of go-to meals so like quick Mm -hmm. meals you know the kind of filling that you like you enjoy that are not too time consuming to make because especially at the beginning it is quite a busy time and I think there's kind of a temptation to kind of skip meals or Mm -hmm. quite a lot of people eat quite all over the place at the beginning because that's just the nature of it but I think if you have struggled with food or you're kind of on like the brink of it I think it's really important to kind of stick to a routine and just kind of focus on your own eating, even if it feels a bit awkward having to have a snack here or make sure you eat something there. I think in the long run, it'll be worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good idea of having meals that are kind of quick and easy to prepare because I know when I first started at uni, like all you want to do is go out and you want to be meeting people. And, you know, sometimes that might involve going out for dinner with them, but often and you know not everybody drinks at uni but for me um, I was in a halls that there was quite a lot of partying and stuff like that and there there wasn't time like I would have loved to have sat down and had dinner um, but there wasn't time and I think for me that definitely played into my eating disorder in that you've not got time Hannah because you need to socialize so yeah I guess that 
is kind of a really important thing to think about in terms of meals and stuff. And I know that you said, so the eating sort of kind of developed whilst you were at uni. Um, and for me, I was slightly different because I went to uni with an eating disorder, which I sh- looking back, I shouldn't have gone. I wasn't ready. And I think I, I didn't really tell anybody that I had an eating disorder because I wanted to go to uni and I wanted to be this new Hannah but there's only so much you can do about that because I was still I still had an eating disorder it didn't matter if I didn't tell anybody so did you kind of disclose that information with anybody whilst you were at uni or did you stay quite quiet so at the time I lived with like one of my friends from home so she kind of knew me before uni so before Mm. I'd kind of changed in terms with with food Um, and also kind of the friends that I've made on my course as well I think a few of them sort of noticed that something was off but probably didn't know what to say or kind of know what was wrong because I I don't really think I made it that apparent I did try to keep it quite like secretive and I think because at uni everyone's so busy all the time people are on different courses it it Mm. is pretty easy to kind of get away with stuff like that but I did kind of end up telling my friend who I lived with and she was like, if she was very nice about it, but she was like, if you don't tell your mom what's going on, I'm going to take you home now and I'll, I'll tell her. And I suppose that was kind of what I needed at the time. And then after, I think it was when I decided to kind of suspend my studies, obviously I had to kind of tell people that I wasn't going to be there like next mm-hmm. week. So I kind of told my close friends and it felt like I was announcing something massive, but everyone kind of already knew and they'd kind of guessed anyway. So I think kind of when I was in the depths of it, I was quite secretive about it and it felt kind of like my secret and I wanted to just keep it for me. But then ever since then, I think I've been quite open about it. And I think that's kind of helped just keep me accountable, but also just I think when I was unwell, I wanted to find someone else's experience and I couldn't really find it. Mm. Um, So I think speaking about it helps me kind of reflect on it, but also hopefully if anyone else is in a similar situation, maybe something that they could relate to as well. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree with you. I think that's the whole reason why I wanted to do this podcast was if someone is struggling, I think having these open conversations and just talking about it completely normally um, with no judgment or whatever, it just normalizes what, you know, not normalizes in that it's okay, but normalizes in that there are other people going through it and you don't have to suffer in silence. I wanted to pick up on what you said about um, leaving uni because I think often people think I just need to get through this like I've got to struggle through but I think not even in terms of you needing to recover because obviously like like you said before it's kind of having two different lives having an eating disorder and I can imagine trying to do medicine as well at the same time as you know you have to be fully focused on that but equally like uni is such a fantastic experience to have an eating disorder at the same time I think limits you so much because you can't do a lot of the things that normally you'd want to engage in but I can imagine that dropping out especially with those perfectionistic traits was a really difficult thing to go through so how did you like navigate that and you know I guess how did you feel at the time when you dropped out and how do you feel now looking back as to the decision you made so at the time it was literally the 
last thing I could ever imagine that would have like happened with the year and at the time I really didn't want to do it kind of when it got suggested I was like I can't do that but then sort of as it as it kind of got closer to exams and it got closer to kind of the fact that I might have to carry on because I was just thinking about the five years ahead of me I wasn't just thinking about it the one year I was like I can't carry on really but kind of coming up with the decision as like my GP well yeah obviously the GP the doctor but she was talking about like medical school saying like one year taking that out is nothing so it would benefit me to take the air out um, and then also the staff at the medical school were really good as well so I think that kind of reassured me that even if I did go my place would still be there and not much would change and um, so I think that helped the decision at the time but obviously it was difficult because I kind of felt like because I'd got into medical school I didn't really want want it to go and that was it kind of felt like I was failing I suppose it kind of felt like I was failing at uni by leaving but also like failing the eating disorder as well by wanting to get better so it was sort of a there wasn't really a good option I suppose but I couldn't really see a benefit in staying either but compared to now like I'm so glad that I did take the year out because I really don't know <laughs> what would have happened if I stayed on really so I think like the time out helped me to recover but also just get a bigger perspective on everything and sort of when I went back I was able to just fully enjoy everything as you said and so much more than just the course yeah so in retrospect I'm very glad that I did it yeah absolutely I think it's such a difficult choice to make and I distinctly remember because I went to Cardiff Uni and I dropped out after six weeks because I just I just deteriorated so much and I remember kind of the shame of I don't want to tell people why I'm leaving like it it didn't feel like a, a valid enough excuse and then like you say leaving uni meant that I was going back home which meant that my parents would see what I was eating or how I was exercising it meant that I'd have to start doing therapy it meant like the control of my life had completely gone so not only was it I don't want to go home because I'm basically going to be treated like a child again but equally like what am I meant to do what am I meant to do like you know I've come here for uni and I don't know about you but when I was at school there was so much pressure to go to uni it was either go to uni or take a year out and go traveling and if you're not going to do that then well what's the point but I didn't feel ready to go to uni at all and then the year after I then you know felt a lot better I wouldn't say that I was recovered but definitely better than what I had been but like you say when you're sat there making that decision it's so difficult especially when you've got the eating disorder saying if you go home that means you're getting better yeah there was like there wasn't really an easy option but I think as you say like there's so much pressure when you're in school or college they just it's like university is the only option but I kind of feel like everyone should be kind of offered to take a year out before they go so they kind of have that chance to just explore stuff a bit more because I think what I realized as well is when I took the time out is that before that it had just been constant school education just grades studying for like the whole of your life and then you stop and it's just you can finally breathe a bit and kind of when you do get to uni so many people as so many different ages as well and have done stuff like that so I think 
I just think kind of the perception that school gives you is a bit skewed really that you just have to go straight in. Yeah, absolutely. I think I had a friend on my course and she was 28 and she is now doing medicine and you know she she said I don't care what age I am because I want to be a doctor so I might be 40 and I might still be studying but equally I might be 40 and I might be a doctor so it's like you know there's there's so much time and I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I wanted to talk to you about your kind of medical degree in terms of I know you're doing your intercalated year but one thing that I've picked up on your kind of social media is you're quite keen about getting more um sort of knowledge and awareness of eating disorders mental health into the the medical curriculum so I wondered kind of for people that don't know kind of what do you learn at the moment and maybe how you want to improve that yeah sure so the medical degree is five years and so the uni I go to is Liverpool so the way we do it is kind of the first two years are kind of non-clinical really so in the first year you do like anatomy and physiology so learn about how the body works and you do have other kind of modules so you do do something called psychology of medicine and like public health stuff like that but it's never focus. it doesn't really focus on stuff like mental health it's kind of looking at I suppose like health behaviors kind of a wider view I suppose um, and then in second year you do kind of the pathophysiology so kind of how diseases happen and in that year you don't really do specialties so psychiatry is obviously a specialty of which eating disorders and mental health fall under so I suppose in second year you kind of expect maybe you wouldn't learn about it but then in third year that's when you go and you main kind of you start your main clinical placements and so even though psychiatry isn't one of them in that year, I was on like the paediatrics placement and about half of the patients were eating disorder patients on the ward. And so obviously I kind of knew what an eating disorder was, but so many people didn't. They just didn't know what it was, didn't know how to kind of understand what the patient was going through. And I suppose just saw it from the physiological point of view of like how unwell the patient was so I think kind of not going through like half medical school and not ever going through eating disorders just doesn't really feel right. No beat we're doing some work to kind of put it into the curriculum so I kind of emailed the one of the people in my medical school to just kind of bring it to their attention and so next year we would do psychiatry as a placement so you'd be expected to learn about eating disorders but I think it's literally like one lecture or kind of one like case-based learning which you do so you answer some questions about it but I don't think you kind of go into it in that much detail. I haven't done it yet obviously so I can't really comment that much but sort of what she suggested was that obviously the curriculum is so far already and their kind of target is to prepare you for what you'll need when you first qualify so when you're just doing general medicine as it is so she kind of suggested if you wanted to know more about eating disorders it would have to be sort of an extracurricular thing to offer and sort of it's more of a specialist um subject really yeah and I think that's always the sort of 
kind of outlook I've had about it is that you have to learn so much and I guess one I think one thing that we don't ever talk about is like so we sit here and say like we we need to there needs to be more education about eating disorders but then I have never asked the question of well how much do you learn about other things you know do do other topics get just just one lecture or would they get several lectures? I suppose it's that comparison of where, kind of where on the priority list are eating disorders being put? Are they being put at the bottom so they're only getting one lecture? Or is it that you only have one lecture on everything? Yeah, I think that's a good point actually. So quite a lot of things you do just get one lecture on and you obviously you have to go and read about it otherwise. So to be honest, having one lecture on eating disorders obviously isn't ideal, but then being able to go and read about it and maybe seeing it on placement, that is where you do most of your learning on placement, really. So I think, obviously, when once I've done it in fourth year, I'd be able to kind of comment more on how much it is covered. But I just kind of think because it does cover so much of medicine, so not just the psychiatry, there's kind of the gastro sides, the, like, women's health side bone health side just mm. it can just have so many like impacts so I just think maybe have kind of like a section at the end of the year with some diseases that just fall into so many categories just to give people an overview of it just so they are aware of it because I think just going on placement and kind of seeing eating disorder patients for people who had never learned or heard about them before it was just quite I found it quite shocking that that was the case for some people really. Yeah and I suppose I think the difficulty comes because there are so many stigmas attached with eating disorders and it's kind of like you were saying earlier about you know when your parents were saying there's something wrong and you're like I'm not I'm not unwell enough like there's people that are sicker than me and I think that's kind of the difficult thing isn't it because we do have those stigmas but equally like I can't imagine ever turning around to somebody that maybe has a different disease and saying no but they've got it worse than you like you know or whatever so therefore you don't need the help but we've somehow latched onto that in eating disorders but I think I've had this conversation quite a lot but when whenever eating disorders come up in the media it's always like really really severe cases um uh, like you know like an example is um Nikki who passed away really sadly whilst that was you know it was so important that that was shared in the media I think also because it's only ever those situations that actually make it to the media we then have this expectation that everyone with an eating disorder you know it's always anorexia it's always a female it's always a death sentence and I think almost that's kind of the education people are getting which is just completely wrong um but it's how we even start to break down those stigmas because I think it's not even just something that's in medicine it's something that's widespread and probably people that don't want to listen to it or aren't really bothered about hearing about it because it's never impacted them they're kind of the ones keeping those stigmas alive I think it's difficult because I think unless you've kind of experienced it you I suppose you don't really understand how debilitating it can be even if it's not that serious so say like if like once I'd recovered a bit I didn't feel as well but it still completely impacted 
like my life, it still took up like every minute of what I was thinking about. So even though I wouldn't have been classed as being as unwell as I was, it still had a massive impact. And I think a lot of people in like the community and a lot of people awaiting treatment are in that situation. And I think it's really difficult to sort of get that message across to people who, I'm not really sure. I think obviously everyone in the public, it'd be good if everyone could just be more aware sometimes about what they're saying, kind of attitudes that they have towards people. Um, but also kind of with the way that care's provided, obviously there's a massive strain on services. So I think it's just remembering that there is that kind of group of people who are kind of left in the middle mm. um, who kind of feel like they don't have help yet, but they also, I feel like you hear about some people who kind of want to get more unwell to access the help. And I think kind of, I suppose, especially like in the medical profession, you it's you never have that with another disease you never want to be more unwell if you had something else you want to get better so i think that just kind of shows how sort of unique it is and how difficult it is to kind of treat and understand i suppose yeah absolutely and kind of what you were saying about getting support what sort of support did you have from your uni yeah so as i mentioned the uni were really really good so I kind of went to them before I went to my GP just because I'd sort of, I'd not like failed anything, but I just felt like I was disconnecting from the course. So I kind of wanted to check in and sort of let them know in case, in case I did, I suppose. And they were just, they didn't put like, any pressure on me at all. We just kind of discussed what was going on. So they kind of suggested go to the GP, just kind of, let them know what's going on and there's like a wellbeing team like specifically for the medical school which really helped because I was able to see them like weekly mm. and I suppose they kind of understood the sort of extra pressure that I might have put on myself so yeah that was really good but I suppose I'm aware of how lucky I suppose I was to have that because even though I think it's important for medics to be able to access help and there's not really a reason why they should have that in a medical school and not for any other course so obviously there's still like that kind of support within uni but i think it's more generalized and not within each subject mm. so i think maybe if you could have that person or people to contact that would help everyone just to so it's just get that outside opinion that can help sometimes and kind of put things into perspective yeah, I really like that idea, actually, because I think if you if each maybe faculty or something had someone as a well-being lead, then they could yeah. also be aware of kind of when assignments were coming up or kind of the pressures yeah. that are on that course specifically to then be able to provide that extra layer of support. Because I think when it's a broad well-being, you know, individual for the whole uni, like you said, one the waiting time is going to be absolutely you know thousands of students at uni and unfortunately yeah. uni is a very high pressure time and people do struggle but equally I don't think they maybe have an idea of your specific subject and like you said I think that was really good that you had it for medicine because I can imagine that 
there's a lot of pressure <laughs> in that. And that kind of leads me on to a question I really wanted to ask you, because I mean, I did biomed, so it wasn't quite medicine, but actually that sounded really rude to myself then, not quite <laughs> medicine. But when I was struggling, I got a lot of comments kind of like, oh, but you know the science, like, you know, the bodily processes, like, why are you doing this to yourself? Which I think completely just like, it's, it's just so ignorant to the fact of what an eating disorder is because it isn't a choice. Did you find yeah. that you had comments like that? I think looking back, I don't actually think I did. Off the top of my head, I can't really think of anyone that kind of said that. I do remember, so I can't, So initially I had like private CBT, um, but then I ended up doing some group therapy um, by the NHS. And I don't think he meant it like in a negative way, but he was sort of like, you know what, you know what you're doing isn't good for you. And sort of, if you were telling it to a patient, you'd be able to tell them like what not to do and sort of advise them. And I think, I mean, I think I already knew that because it's a strange thing that like, you do understand what you're doing, I suppose, and you do understand that it's not good for you, but it doesn't make it any easier to sort of not do it there's sort of I've always felt there's sort of a gap between understanding it and being able to like apply it to yourself I suppose I think that's like a lot of things it's sort of a different situation when it's it's you you're advising so yeah I suppose I kind of got that but not I didn't find it in a negative way really yeah but I think it I don't know for me it just made me feel a bit more out of control like you know people would say to me like you know exactly the impact it's having on you you're a really smart girl like why are you doing this and I'm like hold on if, if I could press the button and stop like I would I don't think yeah. you realize the sort of like difficulty of navigating this every day and the hold that it has on mm. me so I wanted to kind of like round us off by I guess just giving some tips to people if they are going away to uni and maybe they're thinking, is it the right choice? Yeah. Obviously, you know, it's an individual case for everybody, but do you have any advice to people or maybe things to consider before they kind of go away to uni? Yeah, so I think probably just be aware that whatever situation you're in, it is going to be quite a difficult time to adjust to. So it is an amazing time obviously you meet so many people and do so many different things but and you're on the go a lot for like the beginning of it but I think when you do get that time to yourself and you just sit down it is quite overwhelming to kind of think god I'm, I'm here what do I do now so I think that's just kind of a natural reaction but obviously I, if you've never really felt like that before I can't I kind of felt out of place like that that could maybe trigger something if you are struggling with eating or you never have before us I think it, I think for me, it was like a load of little things which built up. So maybe just be aware of if you are feeling off, just try and do little things as you go along to kind of check in on yourself. And in like relation to that, make sure that you kind of do have your support system around you. So um, if you do have friends that you know at uni, or you will make a lot of friends there as well. Um, and also keep in touch with your family at home and, I think probably, I suppose, when I kind of went back after having the eating disorder, me and my mum kind of discussed sort of what could potentially go wrong 
well not what could go wrong but i suppose like triggers which i could find difficult or kind of red flags which could signify that i might need a little bit more help again so i think maybe just making a list of those just so you can kind of recognize them in yourself because i think when you are busy or kind of wanting to kind of push it off it can be easy to ignore it and i think the thing with eating disorders is you do kind of ignore it until it gets to something that you can't ignore and then it's just got a grip on you i think you've raised a really good point there in that the start of uni uni in general can be so busy and i think often we can just fill our time in order to ignore maybe what's going on which then like you said it's sort of like bubbling away for a while and then all of a sudden it gets to a point where you can't just you can't keep pushing yourself to kind of pushing it away and not acknowledging it so I think absolutely if you do recognize that maybe something's not going right just have a little reflection on what's going on I wanted to ask as well in regards to obviously like when you go away to uni sometimes it can be quite lonely especially if you've gone quite far away like keeping in touch with your family like you said is super important I suppose a question would be more for somebody if they've met somebody and they're concerned that maybe they're sort of developing an eating disorder or not looking after themselves. How do you think that person should navigate that situation? Because it might be that they've not known somebody for very long, but equally they could be the person that recognises that something's not quite right. Yeah. So I think it's obviously a difficult situation to approach and kind of I suppose it's a difficult conversation to know like where to start and sort of how to start. I think just kind of keeping it really basic, just kind of saying that I've sort of noticed that you're not completely yourself, you like this around food, kind of you've been avoiding this, kind of just not accusing them and not kind of putting a negative spin on it, but just kind of saying it as it is, just the fact. And I suppose just seeing how that person reacts because I think a lot of the time, if you are kind of around that, like that around food, you sort of know at the back of your mind that something isn't right, but you just don't really know how to say it yourself. So I think sometimes hearing it from someone else can kind of make you realise some, sometimes that, yeah, that isn't really what I was used, I used to be like around food, or that isn't, that isn't really what I want to be like around food. So I think kind of don't be scared of saying the wrong thing and just I think know that you're doing a really like positive thing and really brave thing and reaching out to someone and that other person will appreciate that as well but I suppose also if they do react in quite an emotional way or sort of get like angry about it then that might just be the fact that they don't want to speak about it they kind of are struggling with it and that can be the side of the eating disorder really just kind of not wanting the help I think you've like summarized it really nicely there on both sides I think you know like you said if you do speak to somebody they could possibly be waiting for somebody to recognize what's going on but just need that external person to say something doesn't quite seem right because I think often people when they're in the middle of an eating disorder they don't want to admit that they're struggling because that kind of seems like you're failing at the eating disorder like you said about when you left uni but equally I would 
just want to say like you're just because you've recognized it doesn't mean that you're there to fix somebody and I think you know that's always the message I like to put across for parents carers loved ones anybody like the fact that you're being kind of an open space for them to share or to talk to if they need to that's the best that you can do like don't don't feel like you're expected just because you've brought it up to fix them because you know people have trained for years and years and years to be able to do that so I think that was a really nice broad overview that you gave there Katie so thank you so much for talking to me today. I've really enjoyed kind of getting your insight, especially I think the insight onto med school as well. I think that was really interesting to have that conversation. I know we've kind of touched on this already, but I asked this question for every episode. So I just want to ask you anyway. So in terms, there's two questions, in terms of kind of increasing awareness, obviously the people that are listening to this podcast, like we've said, are probably already kind of engaged and understand eating disorders. How do you think we get the message out there to people that don't already know about eating disorders? So I think kind of, as you mentioned, the ideal situation would be to kind of get the message out of every eating disorder at kind of every end of the spectrum. So I think maybe if you just hear something in a conversation which I feel like I'm quite hypersensitive to something which I think could like either trigger an eating disorder or be quite negative around food or body image. So I think it's being able to kind of pick up people on that language sometimes. Obviously, if you know them, not just sit around in person and kind of just explain to them what that could actually suggest or what that could actually kind of, how that could impact someone who was struggling. Because I think a lot of the time people don't mean to be unaware, they just genuinely don't know. So I think if there are people that you're close to who are speaking like that, maybe just mention it to them. Obviously it's not the easiest thing to do, but I think kind of, if you say that to them, they'll remember that and then perhaps they'll pass it on to someone else as well. Yeah, hopefully. I think the whole kind of like government campaigns and stuff in an ideal world just wouldn't wouldn't exist and they would focus on sort of that side of things instead of um, what they are doing. But yeah, I suppose trying to just put a neutral and positive spin on kind of food and body image and eating and just kind of push people in that direction as far as you can. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they're both fantastic ideas. And I agree with you about the government schemes. I think we need to be implementing healthy behaviours that can be sustained rather than things that are, I would say, quite number focused, um, which kind of, you know, that that enhances those eating disorder thoughts. And then the other question I had for you, which you've given loads of tips already, um, but what would be your top tip or best advice for somebody that kind of thinks that they might need support for their eating disorder yeah so I'd probably say just the fact that you're kind of thinking that you might need support is a sign that you're ready to get support and sort of a sign that something's not right I think don't don't feel like you need to wait until you feel like you can't cope with it anymore I feel like it's got really serious I think just if you feel something's not right just go and speak to your GP, speak to someone in your family, just kind of lay it out how it's affecting you. Um, 
and just get help as soon as you can because I think the earlier you can get in there it can make it make it easier to kind of manage and also it just helps to kind of have other people around you because it can be really and if you don't if you don't do that but also it's scary to kind of reach out for that help but once you do it's definitely worth it yeah absolutely well thank you so much Katie it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you and um I think this is the earliest podcast I've ever done so (laughs) I can actually say to people I can say enjoy your day rather than have a nice sleep (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for having me on and also all the amazing work that you do on this podcast thank I think that was a perfectly timed episode with Katie and to have her input on how she experienced uni and especially dropping out with the perfectionistic nature of an eating disorder but now she's flourishing and I think that's really inspirational. Next week we'll be joined by Jerome Breen who is the principal investigator on the EDGY study. EDGY is the eating disorder genetic initiative and together we explore the research they're doing and how you can get involved. I guess the other thing is wood genetic and biochemical profiling somehow allow people to escape the BMI trap as well, right? Because BMI is being, even though it isn't supposed to be used to, to tighter services, it, the resources are so scant that, if it, that it is getting used. But if we had a more objective measure of, you know, someone's biochemistry has has a problem, as opposed to they, they, can't, they can't get down to a, to a low BMI because they have a high bone mineral density. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe to be one of the first to hear it. Please also like, comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may need support at the moment. Not only those struggling with eating disorders, but also their loved ones, as this can be a very difficult time for everyone. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire individuals along their path of recovery. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, charities like Beat, Seed and First Steps have great resources. Please also reach out to your local GP to see how you can gain support for your eating disorder. See you next time. Bye!